0: Today on Blue 58, close games can teach you a lot about a team, and the San Francisco 49ers have played a lot of close games this year. So what can they teach us? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, very happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got to talk about something important for the divisional round before we even get to what's going on with the Packers and the divisional round. Our charity drive has come to an end. And I know you're all waiting with bated breath to uh, learn how much we all raised together. The final total from more than 100 donors, a record for us is $3,477.50, all going to the ANA All The Way Foundation. And from that pool of donors, we've selected two winners who are going to get a pair of tickets to the divisional round each. Those lucky winners are Matt Youngblood and J.T. Osborne, both of them winning a pair of tickets with which they can go to see the Packers take on the San Francisco 49ers this weekend at Lambeau Field. Thank you so much to everybody who participated. This was very exciting to see all the donations come in. I've spent a lot of time talking to our anonymous donor, and he's over the moon, Uh, as am I. It's been incredible to see the generosity from, from Packers fans really all over the country. And I'm sure had it been more convenient for people from around the world to get here, there would have been plenty of donations from around the world, too, because in our December charity drive, they had things coming in from, again, all over the world. Average donation in this charity drive was just under $30, $29.47, $29.47, I suppose that would be. Uh, But really, whatever amount you donated, very much appreciated and I'm excited that we were able to do this and I think uh you know at the suggestion of now a couple different listeners and readers we're going to be doing things like this all all year round as often as we can maybe we'll try to do something a little bit sooner than I anticipated we'll see but uh this was a great success I'm very excited about it and uh I'm I'm really excited for everybody who chose to participate because uh, your your generation her generosity is is amazing we just wrapped up Wild Card Weekend, and as a result, we got to see that the, uh, the Packers are going to be playing the San Francisco 49ers. Before we put Wild Card Weekend fully behind us, I wanted to follow up on a couple of the, the thoughts that we had leading into those games, what we were going to be watching. By and large, I think things played out pretty much as expected. I, I thought the Buccaneers um, Eagles game was going to be a little bit closer, I thought the Cowboys would acquit themselves a little bit better. I thought the Rams-Cardinals game was going to be a lot less one-sided than it turned out to be. But by and large, I think uh, think a lot of things basically played out as expected in the NFC side. I thought we would follow up again on a couple of those observations or a couple of questions we had about uh, about each game. So starting with the Buccaneers and Eagles, again, not unexpected. Overall, I thought the Eagles game plan was really really bad. They've gone to this run-heavy approach, which generally works, but as soon as they got behind, it became apparent that they had to pass to get back into the game, and they just couldn't do it. Jalen Hurts is not that kind of player. It reminded me a little bit of what we saw from early career Matt LaFleur with the Packers. Kind of a, well, I had one idea sort of thing, and it didn't work, so who knows what we do now. We'll just kind of ride it out, I guess, and see what happens, and that's kind of where the Eagles were. So in terms of our question, what we were watching about what Jalen Hurts does against a good defense, the answer is not very well, and I think that raises a lot of question for the Eagles this offseason. What do they do with their pile of draft capital in a weak quarterback class? Glad I don't have to make those calls. 49ers and Cowboys, I think this was the prediction I felt best about. I predicted the uh, 49ers would win, And I think, uh, without saying it so much, it it came down to Mike McCarthy versus Kyle Shanahan, which really is kind of an unfair comparison. Uh, Just where they are in their careers, I think Shanahan is miles ahead of McCarthy. Watching the 49ers quarterbacks, as we predicted, Jimmy Garoppolo was fine enough to win. But, um, you know... it still is going to kind of come down to that for the rest of the way for the, the 49ers, not to to give away too much of what we're going to be talking about over the next couple episodes with 49ers Packers, but it's going to come down to the Cowboys quarterbacks or the, the 49ers quarterbacks in a lot of ways. But one last note on McCarthy. You know, if you've listened to this show for really any amount of time, that I'm a fairly big Mike McCarthy fan. I think he's a, a pretty good guy. I think he's... Things have passed him by, let's put it that way, but I've characterized him a lot over the years as a program builder, the guy you bring in when you need to straighten out your football team, say it McCarthy voice in your head football team. uh you need a guy who can come on board to get things organized, get everybody on the same page. That's McCarthy, but you're going to stay on that first page because the game has passed him by tactically, so what's going to end up happening is he's going to get some wins together in the regular season by just having a team that's organized and ready to play generally. Because most of the league, I think we've seen by the teams firing their coaches the last couple weeks, most of the league is not organized and ready to play on a week-in, week-out basis. So if you just have a team that's got all their ducks in a row, like McCarthy teams tend to, by and large, you'll get to the playoffs. And then what happens when you get to the playoffs? what happens generally is you play teams that are both organized and good. And that brings you to a team like the San Francisco 49ers. Flawed in a lot of ways, but organized with some talented players and a really talented head coach. And the difference in the game ends up being poor execution from your quarterback, a true head scratcher of that fake punt play. The wildness was of that, that last play and you end up going home as the three seed earlier than you probably should. Because more uh, more often than not, if they get a slightly better performance from Dak Prescott in that game, the Cowboys are going to win. Because they're still probably a little bit ahead of where the, the 49ers are, personnel-wise. But since McCarthy is not going to build your team up like he once could, that's what you end up with. Overthinking things too cute by half a couple times and heading home early. Finally, the Cardinals and Rams. Like I said, the game I was most excited about, but probably the most disappointing game, and the the ending ends up being kind of where we started. Is Kyler back? No, he's not. Uh, Still dealing with injuries or whatever, uh, just comes up small in this game. Can Matthew Stafford come up big in this game? Yes. Had probably his best game of the season. Just got to do that three more times and the Rams are are champs, which sounds kind of flippant and negative if you say it that way. So let's spin it positively. You can believe if you if you're just sitting there at home thinking about the Los Angeles Rams, you can believe in the idea of Matthew Stafford getting hot, right? I can see that happening. You can see a a quarterback as talented as as Stafford getting hot and playing well for a month and suddenly you've got a Super Bowl ring for the, the Los Angeles Rams. Doesn't seem impossible, does it? I don't think so. I don't think it's, it's out of the realm of possibility. Will it happen? Well, that's the real question, isn't it? Can Stafford stay out of his own way for a month? That's probably a bigger question than even the Rams would like to admit. We'll turn to the Packers here in a second, but I wanted to mention just for a moment the sponsor of this episode. Today's sponsor, once again, as always, is you, because Blue58 is entirely listener-supported. We accept no ads. We have no plans to ever do that, and you will never hear an ad read from me about little blue pills, male grooming, daily fantasy sports, whatever, because I want to run this show entirely on support from you, the audience. So how do we do that? What you do is head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep to contribute any monthly amount you like or, as of just uh, within the last week and a half or so, a yearly amount. You can get 10% off your donation for the year if you donate uh, for the entire year up front. What are you going to return? Uh, Quite a few things, I think. Uh, no ads here for starters or on the Powersweep.com, but also bonus content through Patreon and access to our Discord server, which is just a cool place to hang out and chat with Packers fans from all over the world. And I wanted to take a second today to talk specifically about that server. It's a blast, a lot of fun to hang out with Packers fans from all over the world, and you can even talk about a bunch of non-Packers fan or Packers related things, too. If you've been on the internet for any amount of time lately, you've probably seen stuff about Wordle, that little word game that people play and then post their results about online. That's uh, invading our Discord server lately, too. Everybody talking about their strategies, their scores, things like that. So want to get in on that, want to support the Power Sweep? visit patreon.com slash the PowerSweep or check out the link in your show notes to get started. Want to shout out Patreon supporters Cashin Jeffries, Ray Cloud, and Murray Ross today. Thank you to each of you for being a Patreon supporter. I figured the best way to start our Packers and 49ers preview was to talk about, first, things that have changed since the Packers and 49ers last played. The Packers got the 49ers in Week 3. But also, I'd like to talk about uh, the the close games the 49ers have played this year. So first, what has changed since the Packers and 49ers last played? First, the Trey Lance package has all but disappeared, up to and including the Packers' week three game against San Francisco. Lance had been on the field playing a handful of snaps per game. Trey Lance, of course, the high draft pick quarterback prospect that the, the 49ers traded up to get. They haven't really gotten him on the field regularly since then. He's only been on the field since the Packers game, basically when he's played for Jimmy Garoppolo. Unless Garoppolo's been hurt, he hasn't played. And I bring that up this week because Jimmy Garoppolo is dinged up and if he plays, it would be the first time he's seen significant action in a while now because he, Lance just doesn't get on the field that much anymore. The second big change for the 49ers is Debo Samuel. He is basically morphed into a running back that catches passes versus a receiver that occasionally runs. And at 5'11 and 215 pounds, you see why they want to use him that way. He's basically running back size. It shows up in his stats in a big way, too. Weeks 1 through 9, he had six total carries, Weeks nine through this past week, he's had at least five carries in every single game, and he's basically become the 49ers' change of pace back, trying to get him anywhere from 10 to 12 touches per game. So something to watch. They will be utilizing him out of the backfield a lot, but not exclusively out of the backfield because not all of those carries are coming from straight backfield stuff, though a few of them are. They line him up all over. But he has only been in the backfield for double-digit snaps four times since week nine, despite getting about five to six carries per game. And those snap totals, 11, 11, 13, 15, not just, he's not just lining up you know, as the deep back in the I formation and taking handoffs. They're moving him around a lot, getting the ball and jet sweeps and all sorts of creative stuff. And I think unless the Packers are sound up front, this could very easily turn into the Debo Samuel game, the very similar way to things have been the Colin Kaepernick game in the past, or the Michael Vick game, or the Brandon Bostic game. Um, But uh, Debo Samuel is going to play a factor in this game, and he'll probably be doing it carrying the ball as a runner as much as a receiver. Injuries are worth noting, for both teams as well. San Francisco has a few guys now on injured reserve that weren't there the last time the Packers had played. Wide receiver Richie James is, edge rusher D. Ford is, and formerly starting tackle Mike McGlinchey also on injured reserve. For the Packers, they have Elton Jenkins and Robert Tunyon, or Tunyon both on injured reserve as well. Jenkins didn't play last time, but Tunyon did have a big role, basically taking out uh, Nick Bosa as a blocker consistently in this game. Packers are also returning Zadarius Smith off of injured reserve. Of the guys that have stepped into the lineup again this week for the Packers, he was the only one who had previously been out due to an injury uh, last time around. Both teams have also made significant additions in their own ways. San Francisco has brought along edge rusher Arden Key. Uh, Key was not an in-season addition. He'd been on the the 49ers from the start, but his role has really changed over the course of the season, has really grown into a bigger contributor. From week nine of this past season on, he's really been a bigger part of their pass rush rotation, and it's shown up on the stat sheet. Weeks one through eight, seven tackles, zero sacks. Weeks nine through, well, I guess 19, I suppose. Fifteen tackles, six and a half sacks. They're adding another contributor to a pretty good defensive front already. Rasul Douglas, a big addition for the Packers, you know the story there. Douglas is a good transition into our next segment here, though, uh, talking about the 49ers close losses, because uh, a big factor in a lot of the 49ers close losses and close wins this year has been Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's talk about the idea of close games, though. Close games are usually a pretty good bellwether for how basically lucky a team is, because a lot of one-score games come down to just a couple plays breaking one way or another. And if you're way overachieving on those one-score games, games decided by seven points or less for the purposes of our definition, you may not be as good as your record ultimately shows. So far this year, the 49ers are 4-5, counting their postseason win over, over the Cowboys in games decided by seven points or less. So I figured we'd take a look at the games where things ultimately went well for the 49ers and then where things didn't go so well for them and see what we can draw from those games. What has to happen for the 49ers if this game is going to be close? And I expect it probably will be fairly close uh, for the for the Packers on on Saturday. So first, the games where things ended up going well for the 49ers. Four wins by seven points or less for the 49ers so far this year. First one in Week 2 over the Eagles where they won 17-11 to in Philadelphia. Their opposing quarterback that day, Jalen Hurts, who went 12 of 23 for 190 yards. Not terrible, not great. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo had no turnovers, relatively decent day at the office. Other observations from that game. The defense obviously holding Philadelphia to 11 points is, is great. Uh, Nick Bosa had two sacks that day. But of note, the Eagles had two drives end on downs. One was a blocked field goal. One was a turnover on downs from the San Francisco four-yard line. I mean, that's the tale of the game right there. If the, the Eagles get into the end zone, On that one drive, they probably end up winning that game. Just do the math. It ends up putting them ahead, probably. Uh, A blocked field goal that goes through the uprights instead suddenly looks like an entirely different game. But the the 49ers coming up with a couple important plays there, both obviously on fourth down. The 49ers didn't win another game by seven points or less until week 14 when they traveled to Cincinnati and beat the Bengals 26-23 in overtime. Their opposing quarterback was Joe Burrow that day, obviously, and he was great. 25 of 34, 348 yards, two touchdowns. Jimmy Garoppolo keeping the 49ers in the game, managing to not turn the ball over himself. George Kittle went absolutely ballistic in this game. 13 catches, 151 yards, and a touchdown. And the defense, as will be the case on a lot of these close wins, was great again. Holding the Bengals to just 23 points is no mean feat. Uh, It helps when you get five sacks, two again by Nick Bosa. But again... The 49ers missed or benefited from a missed field goal in this one. It would have been, put the Bengals up over the 49ers instead of drawing them even with their touchdown late. The 49ers had a chance to win this game in regulation with a field goal, but missed it, but had the, the or had the Bengals themselves not missed a field goal, that field goal would have been just a tie, and uh, boy, would have been a different outcome, obviously. The, uh, the Rams were the next victim of the uh, 49ers in a game decided by seven points or less fast forwarding to week 18. They traveled to Los Angeles to take on Matt Stafford, who conveniently threw two interceptions uh, for the Rams that day. But Jimmy Garoppolo comes right back the other way, throws two for the Rams overall, another big defensive day, the Rams coming up with five sacks, two and a half from Eric Armstead. But I think the biggest story in this close win was a mismatch in incentives. The three seed was in play for Los Angeles. But San Francisco was a, in a win-and-get-in situation. They needed a win to get into the playoffs, and the, the Rams were, I guess, kind enough to oblige. I'm not really sure what to make of this game as a result. I think it's hard to draw any big sweeping conclusion, given that the, uh, the teams had two very different things to play for. Finally, the 49ers' most recent one-score win came last weekend in Dallas. Uh, Their opposing quarterback that day, Dak Prescott, 23 of 43 passing, 254 yards, one touchdown and one interception. This was his second worst graded game of the season, according to Pro Football Focus. And if he even has an average day overall, I mean, you don't like to reverse the the game based on just one player, but Prescott should have played better. And if he does play better, the 49ers are probably home right now. And the Packers are getting ready to play the the Rams on Saturday. Garoppolo threw just one interception in this game. And ultimately, we got to remember that the the Cowboys are a a last play brain fart away from two shots at the end zone for the win at the end. And got to return to that play again. I don't know what the Cowboys were thinking. 14 seconds left from about the 40-yard line. You can probably get two shots into the end zone with that. I I don't know why they thought throwing from the four or from the thirty was so much better than the forty. Just how much more does that really open up for you? It it can't be can't be all that much. So looking at these four games where the 49ers managed to sweat out a win by seven or less, what do they all have in common? First great defensive performances, usually spearheaded. Um, by sacks up front, a lot of the time by Nick Bosa. Secondly, getting a down day from the opposing quarterback or just not playing a great opposing quarterback to begin with. Jalen Hurts comes to mind there. And thirdly, taking advantage of opposing team mistakes. So if the Packers want to counter those things, what do they do? Well, it starts with pass blocking up front. You're feeling pretty good about that with the, the offensive line being as it is, getting healthier and healthier you got to feel good about the Packers having a pretty good quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And considering what he did did against the 49ers the first time around, you you feel like he can probably replicate that fairly easily. And finally, the Packers have been better at avoiding special teams' mistakes. But I don't feel that great about them avoiding them enough to uh, not stay out of their own way entirely. What about when things did not work out well for the 49ers? Five games for us to look at here. First, week three. Against the the Green Bay Packers, the Packers coming out on top, 30 to 28, courtesy of a late field goal by Mason Crosby. Aaron Rodgers, the opposing quarterback, a big day that day, 23 of 33 passing for 261 yards and two touchdowns. Jimmy Garoppolo did throw an interception in this game. Jair Alexander with a great crossfield read, making a play, kind of just appearing out of nowhere. Garoppolo also lost a fumble against the Packers. Uh, Packers got a lot of pressure on Garoppolo in this one, four sacks. They only allowed one sack themselves. Uh, they had no David Bakhtiari, no Elton Jenkins in that game, but still managed to to keep the uh, 49ers away from Aaron Rodgers, by and large. Also worth remembering that the Packers had a turnover on downs inside the San Francisco 5-yard line in this one. So, yes, it ends up being a one-score game, but it probably should have been a much much wider margin for the Packers in this one. Week 4, the Seahawks beat the 49ers 28-21. The opposing quarterback, Russell Wilson, that day, an efficient day at the office, 16-23 of 23 passing, 149 yards, two touchdowns. Also ran for 26 yards and a score. Garoppolo throws an interception and leaves early. Trey Lance comes in and does okay in relief. Seattle really couldn't get out of their own way in this one, and this is very similar to the Packers game. It probably should have been a wider margin, but Seattle came out very slow. Six straight three and outs to open the game, but then three straight touchdown drives in the third quarter. So this kind of ends up being a fake one-score game because San Francisco needed a touchdown and a two-point conversion to get it to 28-21 with 120 left. In this one, Seattle basically took control at halftime and never looked back. And pausing here, I think you can make a case that as great as the 49ers' defense has a reputation for being, a lot of people seem to move the ball on them pretty regularly. The Seahawks do it in this game. The Packers did it. The Bengals obviously did it the uh, the eagles did it well enough to be down inside the the 4-yard line uh, and in position to kick a field goal another time. Uh the rams did it well enough that they they forced a, you know, a, a pretty competitive game there down the stretch. People can move the ball on the 49ers. In week 5, the cardinals beat the 49ers 17 to 10. Kyler Murray, though not spectacular, was still in much closer to MVP mode pre-injury Kyler Murray than he is now. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play, but Trey Lance was not great. 15 of 29 passing, 192 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. San Francisco's defense did did get two sacks, but it didn't really matter uh, because no matter how good their defense was, 10 points wasn't going to get it done against pretty much anybody. Uh, Their offense needed to be better. In week 13, the Seahawks knocked off the 49ers again. Coming up with 30 points, 30-23 to 23 the final. Russell Wilson, again, good. 30 of 37 passing, two touchdowns and interception, 231 yards. Garoppolo threw his two touchdowns against two interceptions. Uh, George Kittle, again, goes crazy. Nine catches, 181 yards and two touchdowns. Pretty close throughout. All of the scoring was done by the end of the third quarter. Really not a lot to take away from this game other than the that old meme that the Seahawks just can't manage to play one single normal game ever. Finally, I think perhaps the best example of how the Forty ers defense can give up points in spurts is the uh, the Week 16 loss by the Forty ers to the Titans on the road. The Forty ers end up losing 20 to 17. The opposing quarterback there, Ryan Tannehill, 20 of 20, 22 of 29 for 209 yards and a score. Garoppolo throws two picks. But I think the big takeaway is that all 20 of Tennessee's points came in the second half. Again, you can score points on the San Francisco 49ers. They'll give them up pretty regularly. They'll give up long, sustained drives pretty regularly. It's just going to be up to the Packers to stay out of their own way and make sure that they keep moving the ball. So how do you make sure that those those close games go your way? Judging by when it hasn't gone well for the 49ers, get to Jimmy Garoppolo, Just keep moving the ball, knowing that it eventually is probably going to open up for you a little bit, and try to keep George Kittle from destroying you too badly. But even if he does, recognize that you can shut down enough of the other weapons on the 49ers to stay competitive in the game. We'll have much more on the 49ers later in this week as we preview the Packers' divisional round game against San Francisco. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you. I appreciate you listening in on this episode. I appreciate everybody, again, who donated to our charity drive, and I would appreciate it a lot if you take a second to uh, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. You wouldn't believe how many people I heard from during the charity drive that says, hey, I said, I hey, I heard from this from my brother, my brother-in-law, my, my dad, my sister, my uncle, somebody like that. A lot of people have learned about this show through word of mouth, and I'm depending on you to help that keep going. It's going to help more people find the show. It's going to get more people involved in this conversation around the Green Bay Packers, and ultimately it's going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.